it was the honor of our dojo to be polite and well-educated because it was the only way to communicate with people you don't speak the language. In Europe, we have many, many languages, so kudo code of behavior is enough. You don't have to speak. Meeting is departure. It's my motto <laughs> since much before I started Kudo. When the work is hard for me, difficult, I say, well, I started it, but it will end. And after it will end, another one will start and life is death and death is life. It seems strange to say I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die, but it's real. In a way, it's destiny. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Tokskai Inside Look podcast. Today we're speaking with Laurence Oryu-sensei from Montpellier, France. Oryu-sensei has been training for over 31 years, during which time she's taught in seminars across France, Europe, and Toronto, Canada. In May 2005, Oryu-sensei became the first Western woman to receive the title of Kyoshi Rokudan, which is awarded for not only technical and aesthetic qualities of her shooting, but also possessing the human qualities required to be a leader within the French Kudo community, the largest such Budo community outside of Japan. In this wide-ranging conversation, we talk about her starting Kudo and the impactful moments, lessons, and relationships over three decades in this art. We talk about balancing competition and tradition, and wrap up with philosophy about life and death. I'm excited to share Oryu-sensei's deep and insightful thinking and experience around Kudo, and I know that I'll be drawing ideas and inspiration from this interview for years to come. So, without further ado, here's Florence Oryu-sensei from France. Hello, my name is Laurence Oryu. I'm 55 years old now, and I was born in Provence. It's a region in the south of France. I traveled to Montpellier, more in the south, near Spain, to have my study program. When I was a student, I studied in Montpellier. As a young girl and student, I practiced dance and sports, especially handball. It's a play from Germany. It's great. <laughs> I loved handball when I was young, and I practiced Western fencing. And when I stopped these activities, because of hard time in studying, I discovered archery. And I started Western archery a very short time, but it wasn't enough for me. I mean, teaching was very focused on medals and targets, and <laughs> I didn't like it. I was interested in Japanese culture, especially arts. And suddenly I noticed in a newspaper an article about the seminar led by a Japanese sensei in Montpellier, a seminar of Kyudo, of course. I was 24 years old. It was my last year of studying in university and I have to prepare my examinations. So I, had, I, I was very busy, but I decided to visit the seminar. It was a seminar for beginners, and the leader was Sato Kaori-sensei from Japan. Sato-sensei lived that time in Lyon, in France, a big town in France, for his job. And he teached in Lyon and also in Montpellier Dojo for seminars. The very, very first time I saw Kyoto practice was this ceremony by Sato-sensei. I was so... Well, when I think about this event, I'm still moved, you know. <laughs> it was the first time, of course, I practiced 
so long time, but I am lucky. I have opportunity to watch many hanshi in Japan and in Europe practicing various ceremony shooting. But this one was so special because it was the first one. And I saw this man very normal, nothing special about this man. But since the moment he entered the shajo, wow, it was like another world, something else, something behind the walls, you know. And especially the moment I keep in mind and who made a revolution in my body and brain and heart was the moment when Archer is in Kiza and Yatsugai. One arrow is pointing to the target and the other one is pointing opposite. And I don't know why. <laughs> uh, I was very interested, of course, in ancient myths and the history of Roman and Greeks in my own culture. And one of these gods named Janus, Janus is facing the future and facing the past. Is the god for doors, is the god for transitions, beginnings, endings. And that time I understood something about this universal meaning of Aisha Jodi, something begin and it will end. And this figure represented by Sato Sensei, he was not aware of that, of course, but in my mind, uh, I decided, oh, I want to do this. I want to be a part of this beauty, this meaning. Wow. So for a lot of martial artists, we would say that probably more common is that they just started, they thought it was interesting. And then gradually they're like, oh, I guess this is my thing. But this was a set decision for you. Is that, is that part of your personality? Do you decide on something and then go for it? Or was this a special case? Oh, no, I think it's part of my personality since, since I was, I remember when I was very, very young, I remember these moments when the situation was like it was and the two ways I had to choose one and no reflection. Immediately, yes, I go. For example, I remember <laughs> it was the festival of my school when I was, I don't know, maybe nine or 10 years old. I don't know, something like that. And uh, the master at school asked me to announce for each participants playing or dancing or singing all the pupils. But he asked me at the last moment because he didn't think about it before, <laughs> or I don't know. And he said, oh, Laurence, would you please take the microphone, go on the stage and announce every pupils? Oh, yes, I will go. And I was not obliged to do it, but I, I could have refused. But my feeling was, I can do it. The master asked me, so he's confident on my possibility of doing it. I go, no thinking, my body goes. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember this. I remember other moments in my everyday life or professional life when I decided to change my job, when I decided to change my way of working. Yes, many things. Well, seeing that when you make this decision, something changes, I'm guessing that when you decided to do Kudo, something else had to drop, although you probably were just finishing school, so maybe you had more time. But what changed when you said, okay, now I'm going to do Kudo, and then your whole life path diverged? 
I was in last year at university and it was so difficult. And as my parents have not a lot of money, I worked during my studies to pay and to participate to the fees. So I decided because Kyudo is taught for free, it's not expensive <laughs> teaching, but you have to buy equipment, you have to buy your association fee, etc. And I have no money at that time. So I decided to have a, a part-time job more, one more. <laughs> I clean baby home to have money to buy my first yugake. And so, yes, it, it changed a lot because timing was so strict. Studying kudo and studying and working and working and bit sleeping and having examination. But my dedication was so strong, I could imagine giving up one of my scheduled activities. But in fact, the only thing I stopped, but it was not because Kudo, was fencing, because my sensei died. And I was so sad and moved that I couldn't start again fencing with another sensei. And hopefully Kudo was here to offer me this special relationship between a sensei and a student. Because it's a part of Kudo for me. Kudo is not about only about having a, a bow, a arrow, a target. Kudo offered me so, so many, many experiences of relationship. Strong, difficult, horrible, <laughs> but most of them fantastic, uh, excellent relationships. So you saw Sato Sensei do this Yawatashi, you participated in this event. What was the first few days, weeks, months at training? Was it, was it at the university? Was it at a private dojo? What was that uh, beginning like? It, it was a small, well, that time it was a small dojo, a small group. And the senseis, local sensei stopped Kyudo. She's lady and she stopped Kyudo a few years ago. But that time she worked in a children's hospital and the hospital offered her a small place, very nice and small place to practice makiwara training, only makiwara. And she had also uh, a place in the countryside around Montpellier, an open air space in the vineyards. <laughs> and uh, this place, we had opportunity when it was not rainy to have 28 meters practice. And uh, Sato Sensei, I met him once a month. We drove from Montpellier to Lyon three hours driving and we joined Lyon group practice in a proper Japanese style dojo. We practiced in Montpellier two evenings per week and I had opportunity to join the two moments and it was very difficult because Colmer Sensei and also Charles-Louis Oriou, my husband, who was the second rank in the dojo, they were so, I'm not sure in English, but wanted so much from the beginners. <laughs> no, no right to fail. <laughs> they asked us, not only me, everybody was in the position of being always aware of everything the way of cleaning the dojo before and after, the way of wearing, the way of using equipment, respect between each other's and respect equipment, and being quiet, uh, mute, <laughs> no question, observe and do. <laughs> and it, it was for me very fantastic. 
because my brain was full of teaching at university. And at that time, I had the opportunity to train Mitori Geiko, watch and train, watch and train. And then I used my body in a different way. First, working on posture and not on movement. It's different from what I learned in handball, for example. So I loved it. Yeah, mentioning handball, that's a really active, like you have to be an athlete to be able to play something like that. And there's a little bit of aggression too, because you have to really battle each other to get to the ball and to move around. And now that fencing was gone too, did you find that you needed to keep up something more active or did you do the switch and then Kido is going to be this lower, more calm mm. type of activity? I see. No, I stopped very active activities, very aggressive ones, because in a way, what pleased me more in handball and fencing was the feeling of my body in movement. I mean, for example, when we are practicing Kiza, for me, the two are very close. Posture and movements are very close. Hikiwake is about creating something very big and full. And Kiza is the same, but inside. I mean, the, the feeling in, in the legs, especially in the back, are nearly the same. And when I practiced handball, one of my favorite moments was when I had the, the ball and running very fast to go to the, the target. And this movement of smashing for me is, well, my memory, I, I didn't practice during a long time, but in my memory, the sensation, the feeling of muscles and joints in these movements is the same. So I didn't miss speed because when I had speed activities, when I practiced speed activities, it was not about speed, my interest. It was about feeling. So kudo is uh, much more interesting about feeling than handball or fencing. Mm -hmm. Well, taking that you had that kind of background, did you find that you were progressing a lot faster in kudo than I guess a normal student would? Do you get that sense when you're practicing kudo, either from senseis, from other people that are in the dojo, how fast you're progressing? Well, my teachers, well, I can appreciate because I have a lot of years of practice. At the moment I practiced, my sensei, my teachers never gave compliments or judgment. They only say practice, practice, practice. And I liked it. Of course, they said sometimes, yes, okay, go on, uh, you're on the right way, etc. But in the opposite, they never said it's very bad or it's awful. No. Never, never too good or never too bad, only the middle, the right middle. So I don't remember them saying, oh, you're going fast. It's more about other beginners. I noticed by myself that despite months of practice, some of them had difficulties to memorize the Japanese words, the sequences, especially ceremony practice. So I noticed by myself, maybe I was a little bit more quicker than them, probably because of health and physical condition, and probably because of very strong dedication. I wanted to succeed. <laughs> I wanted not succeed uh, having medals or something. It was not my interest, but I wanted to succeed what Sensei asked to me. My only pleasure was he or she asked me to do this 
if I can see in her eyes or his eyes, it's okay. Well, wow, it's Christmas. <laughs> That's it. When did you start feeling like you were getting it a little bit more? So you start, you started it beginning. You were just kind of rushing from practice to school to work. When did that kind of smooth out and then become more of a regular thing? Ooh, I'm always busy. <laughs> I, I think it's my life. Mm, gradually, I had responsibilities in Kudo administration, first in my local dojo, then my region in France. Around six years after beginning, I was included in the steering committee of French Kudo Federation. And I quit only last year. <laughs> so it's a long time. Maybe I would say last year or two years before I started to practice differently. So it's very recent. <laughs> Practicing Kudo was always in a rush during the 30 years, 30, 31st years. Since two years, yes, my practice is different. Most of the time of my practice, I remember yesterday morning, for example, I started new things. I dare to try new things. I mean, okay, I will go fast, boom, boom, and making hanare uh, like it is, no thinking. So it took all that time to start to think different of, about my practice. <laughs> it was a very long time. <laughs> oh, wow. So six years in, and you're already on the steering committee for the, for the nation. When was this kind of transition of being just a local student practicing and then traveling to Lyon to discovering that the Kudo world was much larger, whether it's in the country of France or even internationally? When did kind of your view of this community grow? Well, my view of the whole community started very early. Because my teachers and friends were, and it's always the same now, were all linked with Japan, with the senseis in Japan. And after practicing, we had dinner or drink and everybody talked about ancient people, people who began in France, in Europe. And very, very, very early, I heard about Onuma Sensei, who was very important in Europe because he taught a lot of our ancient people in Europe. I saw pictures and in France, there is always this tradition of speaking about the past and speaking about all relationships in Europe. We are very few people in Europe. Well, nowadays it's more and more because we are around uh, 3,500 something. Oh, wow. <laughs> in, in, in Europe. But these people who started Kudo like me 30 years ago, a lot of people started at the same time and we are still practicing. So we maintain this, this memory of past and senpai and sensei. And that's why I've been aware very early because my sensei spoke about this, all these relationships. And in Montpellier, we had this tradition of inviting sensei from outside, outside the region, outside of France. So many, many people, six Dan people came and visit the dojo. So it was very early, yes. Mm. Do you remember when you started traveling outside of France to, to go to these events? The first one, I think it was in Switzerland, 
Geneva, probably. Yes, probably when I met Charles Stamfli and Philippe Raymond. Philippe Raymond translated the book of Dan de Prospero and Onuma Sensei in French. And these people were very ancient. So I think it was in Switzerland, probably one year after I started Kyudo. And then my first travel out of Europe for Kyudo was in Japan, in Miyakonojo. It was in 92. It was the first time a big seminar in Taikai was open to foreign people. And I was a member of French Kyudo Federation delegation. And that time I had Shinsa for Sanda in Yakonojo. Yes, it was in 92. And I succeeded the Shoda in Geneva and Nida in Brussels, Belgium. Mm. Could you describe what was the feeling of practice in these different countries? I'm sure like Japan must be very different from Europe, but even within Europe, maybe there are some differences. Could you talk about how were your expectations met or unmet at each of these different locations? Mm, I see. Well, I, I would say Kyudo teaching in Europe was uh, very harmonized. Any country you visit, I visited Spain to Italy, Great Britain. I visited, maybe I forgot countries, I'm sorry. Of course, Latvia, uh, I'm teaching in Latvia. I think that time when I started, Kyudo teaching was very uniform. You were in Spain, you were in Switzerland, you were in Great Britain. It was almost the same, same atmosphere the same rules. And my senseis, so my husband, Charles-Louis, and Marie-Thérèse, her first sensei, always advised us to be very careful about our behavior during big seminars, international seminars. Because, of course, it was the honor of our dojo <laughs> to be polite and well-educated. And also because it was the only way to communicate with people you don't speak the language. In Europe, you know, we have many, many languages and not everybody speaks English or Spanish or are the main represented languages. So, Kudo code of behavior, behavior is enough. You don't have to speak. So I would say same atmosphere because we practiced in modern concrete gymnasium organized as uh, Shajo and uh, Matoba. Yes, it was not very difficult. Maybe nowadays it's a bit different because uh, levels are very, very different between countries, between experiences of sensei, etc. How did something like that happen? You all start out at the same level. Even in Europe, like France is huge in terms of Kudo, like it's well known. If you all started around the same kind of level, how do you see the different countries growing at different rates? Well, one very important point about development of Kyodo in Europe is probably, well, it's my opinion. It's not official <laughs> position of France, of course. I'm not president since two years. So I think one main point is the attitude towards Kaikai competition. Probably countries or groups who are linked to traditional Kyoto practice, they are not so interested in competition in Taikai. Of course, in France, we are interested in competition because we won the first World Cup and we organized the second one. So we try to keep balance between tradition and modernity. Probably, yes, the change, these differences lie on this attitude. Mm -hmm. 
And I totally see that based on your results of winning at the Taikai, but also your teaching is very traditional and we, we can feel like it's just like the Japanese. That must be very hard to maintain, especially when inside an individual, it's already hard trying to battle those two needs and wants. But then there's also the battle between other people that are leading the groups. How, do, how has France been able to manage this balance so well? Uh, you mean balance between the traditional and uh, and modern or competition? Yes, exactly. Because mm-hmm. there's probably some senses that are more towards one, more towards the other and saying, we're going too far, you need to pull it back and others probably want to push it. Mm, not really. I think it's harmonious, nearly harmonious. Of course, people are on the borders, but most of us are in the middle because I think we are aware of living in a like I don't know in English, like a non-religious state. France is non-religious state. Religion is not at the top of a state. The president is not religious. He's not the head of religion in our country. So in French, it's named laïcité. I don't know in English, I'm sorry. And everybody in France is convinced that philosophical, religious, spiritual matters must be separated from activities. So when you practice Japanese or Oriental disciplines, everybody (laughs) thinks, oh, is it a sect? Is it a religion? Oh, it's strange. So we are aware of separating things. Of course, if you want to practice Zen, if you want to practice, I don't know, you're free to do it, but don't teach during Kyudo. This special uh, way of thinking about philosophy and practice probably helped us in France to separate and accommodate and accept the two practice together, linked, but in parallel. I don't know if it's very clear, but it's a hypothesis about the balance between uh, tradition and uh, modernity. That's just amazing because I found that in even in arts like Kendo or Iaida, which I'm more familiar with, there's always groups of people that are totally against the competition and say we need to be more traditional and do it for the whole character improvement part. And then there's the opposite side that I just want to compete and it's always hard to, to balance. But I guess it's done very well in France and probably a reason why you have so many people. Could you talk about your experience going to Japan, not just for the training, but meeting the people and also exploring the culture, maybe some tourism, maybe some food stuff. Just what is your experience of Japan? Sure. Japan for me is a big adventure, a big event each time I visit Japan. The very first time I visited Japan, it was for this tournament and the seminar in Miyakonojo. But we had time to visit Tokyo and Kyoto, as everybody does when you go to Japan. I was very impressed, really. I was impressed first by the people being very organized in transportation, in the street, these big streets crowded, crowded with people. I had to imagine in Paris, well, I never lived in Paris. I was born in the countryside and Montpellier is not a big town, big city. But I I know what a big town is. I visited United States, several towns. Only in Japan, I've noticed this etiquette in the street. People are moving very, the, the flow of people is so neat and clean and peaceful. It's strange. But it was okay for me. I liked this atmosphere. And my strongest shock 
but it was a good shock, was visiting Japanese Zen gardens. I, I love gardening. I have, I'm lucky I have a garden in, with my husband near our house. But this special organization of gardens, plants, and it, it was so beautiful, so beautiful. And more than plants and gardening, uh, it was spiritual experience about food. I love Japanese food. <laughs> it's so delicious. I try at home to cook Japanese food, but I fail each time. <laughs> so my great pleasure is to have uh, Japanese food when I visit Japan. Yes. If there are common places that you go in Japan, are there any recommendations? <laughs> it's difficult. I like experience. I, I can't say one, especially one, because most of the time Japanese friends guide me and I, I go with them. So I'm not able to find <laughs> the right way to go and visit again. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So you've been to Japan to train by yourself. Have you been in a large group going together? Well, I had the opportunity to join two different groups once. And during several years with my husband, we visited the Chuo Dojo in Tokyo. And we had opportunity to join everyday practice with the group. But Chuo Dojo is a big, big group. So we didn't practice with same people regularly. As we were working hard <laughs> that time, we had only one week to spend to Japan, one week or two weeks. So it was short to create relationships with people in the group. I don't know if you would mind, but would you talk about your relationship with your husband? How did that develop? It's more common these days that you, you find couples doing the arts together, but even then it's quite special when it happens. So would you mind talking about your experience meeting, yes. getting to know each other and then developing over time? Yes, thank you. Well, in fact, my husband was my first sensei, not first, Marie-Thérèse was the first one. Sato sensei was first image of sensei. But in this relation, very early, I separated love <laughs> and kudo. Because I saw a lot of people starting kudo and wishing the wife or husband or boyfriend, girlfriend, start kudo with him or her. And they asked me, Oh, how do you succeed in being in love with this man and practicing Kyudo with him? And I said, love is not enough. Practice Kyudo. If you have no personal dedication to Kyudo, stop. <laughs> well, go on loving, but stop Kyudo. Kyudo is too demanding and love is not enough. And maybe the risk is to stop you loving your, <laughs> your boyfriend or girlfriend. My experience is that I have interested in being in love with this man. And I had interest in starting and going on Kyudo practice. Both were separate. And of course, in the dojo, nobody could imagine we were partners that time and nowadays. Well, one is leading the seminar or teaching in the dojo, in the group of Montpellier, and the other is training. And we change because in Montpellier, we are three Shogosha people, Régine Graduel, Charles-Louis Oriou, and me. And to have an opportunity to train each other, we turn. For example, Monday, uh, Charles-Louis is leading. Wednesday, it's me. And uh, Saturday, it's Régine. So... 
no familiarity, no special kind words. Sensei is sensei and practicing is practicing. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's wonderful to share the same passion and to share what we are looking for. I mean, if I'm working on Tenochi, as Charles-Louis is uh, much better than me about Tenochi, when I decide to work something, I can ask immediately. <laughs> He's at home, so I can ask every day, every time uh, when I want. I don't have to wait for the seminar <laughs> with him. It's wonderful. How do you decide on trade-offs and when one person has to stay home or do something and the other person, like a lot of times we you can both attend seminars or both go to certain things, but there's going to be occasions where you can't. How do you make those decisions? And do you have examples of ones that you've had? Well, no problem. It's very often one goes to a seminar and the other can't. It's never because of common reasons. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Last year, one of the trees in our garden had to be arranged because it, it was cut by the tempest, by the thunder. And there was a seminar, but we had to treat this tree in a hurry. But we decided, no, it will wait. <laughs> we will do it next week. And together we go to the event, Kudo event. But when we go separately, it's because of personal reason. For example, when I started a new job during two years, I was not able to visit Japan. So Charles-Louis went alone. Of course, every day we had Skype <laughs> and he explained to me, oh, sensei said that and that. I practice like this, like that. And he gave news from friends who attend seminars, but it was never for common reasons. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about you and your husband, your peers now, you talk about some of your senseis. Are there some people that are junior to you, either Kohai or students or people in the Federation that you see around that give you motivation for the future? Like, Are there people that when you see you're like, okay, this is the kind of, this was me when I was young. Uh. Could you talk about some of these people? I've met so many, 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 many beginners <laughs> in my life and a lot of them gave up and quit Kudo. So I'm not very proud of this. I don't know if I have the right attitude to help people go on Kudo, but it's so personal, uh, individual choice that, okay, I, I, I know that I'm not responsible for everything <laughs> in the world. Well, the beginner who is in my mind now is the last one. <laughs> I, I mean, I started to work with Nicola. Nicola is a young boy, a young man. He started in very difficult context because he started during COVID. He started three weeks ago and is so dedicated. I. I Maybe I was like him when I started. Of course, he is a student. He has to work to pay his university. He is practicing archery, Western archery too. And he has no time, but it takes time to practice Kyudo. So when I met him, when I met Nicola, I say, oh, maybe he's uh, very courageous. He is wishing uh, a lot. And we had very funny experiences. I posted one on my Facebook page. Of course, practice in gymnasium are forbidden now in France for, I don't know, how many weeks or months or years. I don't know. So we are lucky. We have a place in the countryside 
And of course, as it is open air and really countryside, we have no electricity, no wires. So I have this picture. I have, I don't know, a front uh, yeah, head, headlamp. Headlamp, yes. And I'm showing him uh, how to make a proper hanare. <laughs> and it's so strange and funny. I, I imagine uh, if I had started Kyudo in this condition, how could I? I don't know. I, I'm very moved by this dedication of Nicola practicing in this condition. So I gave my best to teach him. <laughs> so how do you see right now the situation in France with COVID locking everything down? And winter is coming too. Yes, winter what is it, coming. What, what is your plan for winter? Mm, well, it sounds crazy because we have to change our way of teaching, the way of welcoming beginners. I mean, Kudo is based on group relationships. Inside Tachi, five people, each one has his role. And it's difficult to have this distance practice and explain about group and relation inside group, harmony, uh, breathing, etc. So we try to do our best. We organize web meetings. We organize web conferences about pedagogy between teachers, but nothing can replace direct teaching physical relation. It's like art, dance or singing. In my job, I'm a specialist of quality for vocational training companies. And I'm specialized in these companies who practice singing, dancing, art, education. So now every day as we are in Kyudo, everybody has stopped in his practice. And it's very strange. How could we improve Kudo teaching only by digital way? It's strange. I'm not very comfortable with this idea. And how about your own training? You even mentioned that in the last two years, you said you started experimenting with more things. Could you give some examples of things that you're doing now that's different than even two years ago, you were saying? Well, in fact, my body changed. And my abilities are different. About physical ability, I started to have a new bow, lighter bow. And sometimes I'm very strong, so I could have a stronger bow, but I'm dealing with it like beginners do. (laughs) So, I mean, this experience is very new for me because I was able to have a 16 kilo bow very easily. And I was thinking about having maybe 18 kilos for a woman, it's a big one. But in, in the opposite, I'm trying to manage weakness, strength and keeping beautiful feeling. It's difficult, difficult. Yes, it's about that. And about training, I try to be concentrated more in uh, relationship in the group. I mean, when I studied Kudo at the beginning, I was concentrated more in myself, my feelings, my technique, my movements. Now I try to think, well, this movement of doing Torikake and Tenuchi, this movement of raising this bow is a part of a bigger movement. 
everybody moving together. And it's very interesting. Difficult to explain, <laughs> especially in English, <laughs> which is not my native language, but that's it. I try to move as if I was the little finger of a big, bigger body. Wow. That's a great analogy. And I, I found that's one of the things I found with Kudo too, because there's Tai Hai, that there is the moving together with other people. In Kendo, you might have two people fighting each other. In Iaido, it's a solo art. But even though Kudo, it's solo, there's still that aspect of having to move as a group and adjust to different people, different timings. It's yeah, it's one thing I miss about the practice. <laughs> I see. So uh, <laughs> why not come again in Kudo? <laughs> I might. Yeah. It's already on my mind, especially when I'm talking to other Kudo people around the world and how much they've maintained. And yeah, it's really motivating me. So in the last few minutes, I have some quick questions that I want to kind of mm -hmm. go through. They're more on the fun side. You can answer or you can decline. First one would be, do you have a quote or proverb that you live by or that you practice by? Well, definitely, Esha Jodi. Meeting is departure. It's my motto <laughs> since much before I started Kudo. When the work is hard for me, difficult, I say, well, I started it, but it will end. And after it will end, another one will start. And life is death and death is life. And each time I finished my copy for Shinsa in Kudo, you know, they ask you, why do you practice Kudo? Why do you start it? Even in my paper for Kyoshi Shinsa, I talked about death. Well, it seems strange to say I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die, but it's real. I'm not in charge of children. I'm not in, well, of course, my parents need me sometimes because they are old and ill. But in a way, it's destiny. So Esha Juri is everyday motto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so important to recognize that there's always something else about being alive. Are there unique quirks or side interests maybe people might not know about you? Do you have any current interest or activities that you do that might be funny or interesting for people that even know you for a long time? <laughs> funny or interesting? I don't know. I'm so transparent. I think everybody knows my life, so... I don't know. Ah, maybe something few people know. So I, I spoke about my work now. I changed work recently and I discovered this school of clowns. Do you, clowns Clown. with a red nose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> in circus, clowns. How do you say in English? Yeah, we call them clowns. Clowns, yes. And I help them in reaching a high level of quality of teaching. It's my job. Not only clowns, every kind of company in arts. And these people, when I started to work with them, I thought, oh, clowns, it's crazy. What's going on? How could they practice in quality? Wow, strange. And I discovered that clowns are very, very serious people <laughs> and very organized. And they teach clown art like kudo, you know? Yes, it's the same. The way of standing, the way of moving, of course, they speak, but when they put cosmetics on their face, when they put the nose on, when they stand at each other, wow, it's incredible. There is an etiquette in clown practicing. So I don't know if it's funny about me, it's funny about my discovering of this special discipline. <laughs> Maybe uh, I will do clown and kudo <laughs> together. <laughs> I will start kudo and uh, clown class. I don't know. 
Well, I don't know in Europe, but in North America, Halloween is in one week. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Yes. If someone were to open your YouTube account, what videos would be recommended on the front page? Practicing Taski Sabaki or being... Well, I, I don't have YouTube page, but if I had one, I would recommend to watch videos about Satake Sensei. Satake Mariko Sensei. Doing um, the most beautiful video for me is uh, Satake Sensei practicing Daiichi Kaizoe for Akiyama Sensei. Wow. It's uh, incredible. If I recall correctly, Kaizoe is one of the assistants. Yes, yes. So you're uh, recommending assistant. watching the assistant? Yes. yes, the... yes yeah. I don't know the name of the video, I'm sorry, but you can find easily on YouTube. Okay. In closing, do you have any any message or any concept idea or thing you want to say to close this off, either recommending to students of Kyudo or even for general Japanese Budo? Budo is lesson of life, lesson of death. And let's do it. Let's try and be honest with you. If you are not made for Kyudo, give up. But if you think you have a small hope to do something in Kyudo, practice Kyudo. Very humble, very clear and transparent. No, no lie. Be honest in your practice. If you are not made for Kyudo, stop. But if there is a small wish, a small hope to realize something in Kyudo, well, you have. It's your duty to do it. Wow. If there's any other type of motivation, I can't think of a better one. Thank you so much for your time. This was a great conversation. Very motivating, very inspiring. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you so much. Thank you for the interview. Have a great rest of your day. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode because we have a lot more exciting conversations to share as we explore the world of the traditional Japanese martial arts. The Inside Look podcast is available on most common podcasting platforms and on YouTube. Remember to subscribe to not miss out on new interviews as they are posted. We're always looking for feedback to improve, so please write us a review or drop us a line at podcast at tokushikai.ca or on Facebook and Instagram at tokushikai.canada. Until next time, thanks for listening.